Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with The Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone in this world that has a strong passion for making other people healthier in this world. Along those lines, I'm really excited and enthused to have Matt Wallard on the show today. Matt Wallard is the Chief Behavioral Officer at Clover Health, and he's also the author of Start at the End, really exciting book that's out. And I'm just really enthused to have Matt to come on the show, share his perspective. I'm not going to steal his thunder. Matt, welcome to the show. Anthony, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I love to always start at the beginning and it probably goes in line with, with you know, um, in terms of starts and ends with your book. But take us back, teleport me back to where it all started, where you wanted to have a passion to focus on health. And I, I just love to hear a little bit about the series of events that have gone out, gone on in your life that have led you to become the person you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't, uh, I don't even think of myself as necessarily concentrated on health. Um, although my mom is a nurse and my dad worked in durable medical equipment my whole life. And so like, I was very definitely like, you know, I was that kid, I used to go into my dad's office and I was like, literally calling insurance companies for reimbursements at like eight years old. So I'm like arguing about people with hick pick codes at like, yeah, eight. Um, and yet <laughs> myself as like, you know, sort of dreaming of a medical career. Um, I ended up as a behavioral scientist. Uh, I had a really formative experience in college where, um, you know, I had a professor who, uh, I, I wasn't really thinking of being a psychologist, but I took the psychology class and there was a study where, you know, I didn't disbelieve the data, but I, but I felt like the authors were overreaching um, their conclusion. And, and this professor, a guy named Andrew Ward at Swarthmore, said this really amazing thing to me. He said, well, the field agrees with their interpretation, but this is science. And in science, there's an organized way for you to reply, and that's to run an experiment. And so if you want to come into my lab and run an experiment that shows that they're wrong and that there's an alternative explanation, like, I'm happy to do that. And that, I just fell in love with that. I fell in love with the field, right? It wasn't like you know, I'm a pretty good talker. And so people were pushing me to things like be a lawyer, be these kinds of things. But the problem with like being a lawyer is the eloquent person wins. Right. Right. Whereas in like science, you know, science done well, it's not the best storyteller doesn't win. Right. Like truth wins. And that's so cool. And I that's just awesome. like, geeked out on it. And that's what sort of guided my life for the rest of the rest of my career. I love it. I love it. No, this, yeah, the truth element, I've never heard, it, you know, a parallel like that between the two fields. And, you know, it's exciting. And, and what I'm fascinated about um, what you do and your background is everything, right? Everything we do is behavior. Everything we do is, is mind. It's the spiritual connection. It's how we, you know, what makes us all tick. Um, you're at Clover Health. You're doing some really interesting things and you've taken your background and your your you're positioning yourself in this field at a really interesting time. I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the things that have your fixation and fascination. Maybe some of the things, obviously, you're touching, you know, in your book. Um, obviously, I don't want you to give away the crib notes on your book, but tell me a little bit about uh, what has your captivation in health today. Like, what topics? Why? What's changing? Why is it so exciting? Um, just love to hear a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm always actually happy to crib note the book. I, I think that, you know, <laughs> it's meant to be a manual for people who want to go deeper. Mm -hmm. But but I think that like, 
the reason I wrote the book is, is because I passionately believe that, to your point, everything is behavior. And so as part of that, everything that we create is created to change behavior, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a chair is designed to get you to sit and M&M is designed to get you to eat it. Like, you know, everything that we make is designed to have an, uh, a behavioral outcome. Mm -hmm. And so when we, when we put behavior at the, at the end of our process, we can then start building better, right? Science mm -hmm. is about like knowing where you want to go and then iterating your way there. And so in health, you know, I'm really preoccupied and interested in, uh, in the transition that I think we're all going through, and I don't think it's, I'm, I'm far from the first person to say it, and I don't think it's novel, the transition that we're all going to from recognizing that, you know, it's not just about better drugs and better care and, and developing new procedures and new technologies, but rather you can have all of the best drugs in the world, but if people don't take them, it doesn't matter, right? right? You can come up with the best science about like the right way to do a surgery, but if surgeons don't actually do that, it doesn't matter. And so if we're not able to change, you know, patient behavior, member behavior, provider behavior, system behavior to actually go create um, the, the outcomes that we want, you know, then all of that science, you know, on the sort of process and tech side goes to waste. And so I'm really interested in like, you know, really mundane things like how do you get everybody to get a flu shot, right? right. We know we're like really good. We've like tuned a flu shot and, and millions of dollars go into the you know, the formulation every year, we're trying to predict, right? Like what flu is going to be bad this year. So we formulate against just exactly that specific strain of flu, like mm -hmm. tons of development goes into making a really effective flu shot. And then, you know, 50% of people get them, right? right. And, right. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, uh, you know, my whole team, I have about a, a 10 person behavioral science team here at Clover Health. We're obsessed with those sorts of like, you know, if you just leave the value of the medicine where it is and, and increase adoption, mm -hmm. what does that mean for us as a world and, and, and as a company? I love it. I love it. And Matt, yeah, what I love is that your perspective that you provide in the book is very well-timed. It's, it's refreshing, obviously. I, I think it's been described as kind of like a cross-section uh, between Nudge and Hooked, but a very modern approach and modern. And, and a lot of people that focus on behavior and health engagement health communication, health action, um, you know, they always cite nudge, but you know, the times are changing. <laughs> it's, and so you're, I'm glad that you've been able to like refresh us with the modern way of thinking. One thing that I'm, I'm seeing a lot, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are seeing a lot is whether you're seven years old or 77 years old, the attention spans for people uh, and the bombardment of different media and different types of notifications. Like we didn't even have like the Apple watch notifications, even like a couple of years ago. Now that's a whole other type of interruption. How are you seeing, do you see people's minds changing the way that they pay attention to things? And this is probably like the previous um, version of myself. I used to work at Nielsen for a while and, you know, always study like consumer behavior, but how do you, how do you, you know, in, in today's modern world, what's one or two things from a behavior change standpoint you're starting to see that really needs to be modified because we all have um, Instagram brains now, right? We just want to swipe and, you know, we're, we're on to the next thing. But um, I don't know if you agree with any of that, <laughs> but, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the modern mind and engagement. You know? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, actually. And you, you mentioned Nielsen and other places as an example, like, you know, a lot of people are trying to gain that 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 edge where, you know, there has been a, a change in the way that we do things and really capitalize on that change. A lot mm -hmm. of what I would say is, you know, it, 
often we still have to get the basics right. I don't even think we're doing that. You know, I'll mm. give you a great example. Like I just talked about flu shots. Mm -hmm. um, we were able to substantially increase our flu shot penetration this year. And so people were asking us why. And, and it was really, you know, it wasn't fancy technological, you know, sort of iWatch notifications, right? It wasn't some new magical thing we did. We mm -hmm. just had one core insight. You know, we went out, we talked to members, we looked at the data. And mm -hmm. what it turned out is nobody ever really asks people mm -hmm. who didn't get a flu shot if they intended to in the first place. We just assume that you intended to get a flu shot and didn't, right? right? You know, it was about some logistical concern. And so we actually asked last year the follow-up question when people said, oh, I didn't get a flu shot last year. We said, well, did you mean to? And it turned out 50% of people had every intention of doing it, what we call in, in psychology an intention action gap. I meant mm -hmm. to do it. I didn't do it. I meant to go to the gym. I didn't go to the gym. That's an intention action gap. Mm -hmm. There's a whole other 50% that had an intention outcome gap. Mm -hmm. Meaning, I don't want to get sick, but I had no intention of getting the flu shot in the first place. I don't want to be fat, but I have no intention of going to the gym at all, mm -hmm. right? And so we actually designed, so we dug a little deeper. And what it turned out is most people who didn't get the flu shot were basically saying, it won't happen to me. I'm right. healthy. I'm strong. I, I haven't got the flu last year, so I'm probably not going to get it this year, right? Mm -hmm. And if I do, I'll be fine because I'm healthy and strong. Right. And so we did a very simple manipulation. One of the, one of the interesting uh, uh, pieces of data that we have here at Clover is um, we ask people why their health is important to them, right? So we have a personal health sort of motivation. So we classified those and then we basically sent people a letter, very simple one page letter based on that. So rather than saying, hey, Anthony, you should get a flu shot to protect yourself, which we know is ineffective because you don't think you're going to get the flu and you think you're strong and healthy. We instead recast it in your own goals. Mm. So if you said, um, any any guesses what the number one, so remember, we're Medicare Advantage, so we're talking right. about older Americans. What is the number one health motivation for older Americans? Uh, the, the number one med medical sorry. health motivation. Why do they want to stay healthy? Why do older Americans want to be healthy? Uh, for their for their grandkids, right? Or to Boom. with their family, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's grandkids, right? right? It's grandkids, it's kids, it's spouse, right? right. I want to be with my family. Right. So what we then did was send those people. So everybody got a personalized letter for the people who had said grandkids. We sent them a letter that said, hey, you can only get the flu from someone who has the flu, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's how germs spread. Mm -hmm. Our grandkids are a vulnerable population. You wouldn't want your grandkids to get the flu. So you should get a flu shot so that you don't get the flu and pass it on to your grandkids. Boom. Right? <laughs> so it's no longer about you. It's not about yeah. making sure you don't get the flu. It's about making sure your grandkids don't get the flu. And mm -hmm. hey, when you read that letter, suddenly you're a lot more motivated to get a flu shot mm -hmm. than if I had bombarded you with, oh man, Anthony, you really got to get a flu shot for you. Mm -hmm. You won't for you but you will do it for your grandkids. Mm. So in a world of all this technology and Instagram brain and all these things, yes, those are true, but like the basic core motivations of being a human, right? Those basic promoting pressures and inhibiting pressures stay very much the same. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you create systemic level change by like really building for appropriate sort of motivation and then understanding the barriers that people face. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I am excited about technology, you know, I, not too many years from now, it looks like we'll be able to do micro needle, um, you know, uh, uh, vaccines where I can literally just mail you a little, uh, you know, patch that looks like a, 
like a Band-Aid and it'll have tiny needles that will inject the vaccine into you. And you just like put on this Band-Aid and rip off this Band-Aid and then you're and then you're and then you're vaccinated. That will be amazing. That mm. will reduce a lot of inhibiting pressure so that it's a lot easier for people to do. But if we don't figure out the right promoting pressures, then we won't see behavior change. And so that's Absolutely. the work. It's, you know, pick your outcome. Is it getting flu shots? Is it getting people to go to the gym? Is it getting people to eat healthy? Like whatever it is that is the outcome that you believe in, the behavior that you want to see from people. And then systematically designing for the promoting and inhibiting pressures that cause that behavior. And then piloting and testing and experimenting to actually make sure that it works and then scaling it out. I love it. No, I, I, this is great. I, I really appreciate it. And, and from a, a Medicare Advantage standpoint, I can imagine. So, you know, engagement and improving uh, flu shot adherence is huge. So it's great to see how you guys created that promoting pressure and looked at these intention gaps um, in other dimensions of health, right? You have, um, you know, if everyone ate more of a plant-based diet, right? And raw foods and ate fruits and veggies, got sunlight, moved a lot more, you know, breathe really good, fresh air and, you know, all the basics, right? All the elementals. I can imagine that these are behaviors that you want to see your customers do a lot more. Love to hear about any other intention gaps that you guys are thinking about. And, you know, how do you, how do you recast that, right? It, like, how do you, you get some, you know, your population to not eat that pecan pie, but <laughs> to choose an apple or a kale salad more, more consistently? Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I think to, to sort of like, we just talked about one that's a, a motivating pressure problem. Let's, right. let's, let's flip the script on the inhibiting pressure one. Cause you mentioned food, right? The dominant narrative from everybody was, Oh, people eat shitty food because they don't know any better. Right. Mm -hmm. Somehow people don't understand nutrition. And right. so 10 years and millions of dollars worth of education later, what we realize is no people know. Right. People know what bad food is. They may not know how bad it is, but like nobody's walking around being like, yep, this McDonald's hamburger is a really good idea. Mm. Like nobody thinks that mm. uh, or very few people think that uh, instead, you know, it's about inhibiting pressures. It's about food access. You know, I always paint the picture for my team where, you know, somebody, an 80 year old man, like, you know, goes to the hospital because of heart disease. He comes back out of the hospital. He's been like given educational packets and some nutritionist is like trying try to like educate him about nutrition. Let's just assume he knows he's supposed to be eating like steamed veggies and like boiled chicken. He knows, mm -hmm. but he's 80 and he just got out of the hospital. So do we actually like as, you know, sort of behavioral practitioners in the world, is our dominant metaphor, we actually believe like this 80 year old guy is gonna go down to the grocery store, get some fresh veggies, get some chicken breasts, go to his kitchen, stand up, prep those, cook them, eat them. <clears throat> like, does he have the money and time for that? Is he even physically able to do that? Like, I just mm -hmm. think we have these really irrational expectations of like why people behave the way they do. Right. So, you wanna get people to eat healthy, you, you know you know what he's going to do. He's going to go to the store and he's going to get Stouffer's lasagna because it's cheap and it's easy. And by the way, it has a ton of sodium. And that's why we have a 20% 30-day readmission rate in the United States. He's going right. to go right back to the hospital because he's going to sodium overdose and like back he goes. Mm. So what do we do? Well, we could educate him to death because, oh, it's really important. I could even send a letter that's like, it's important to your grandkids. But I don't think that would change his behavior. Right. What, cha what changes his behavior is the availability of a frozen, convenient, healthy, not loaded with sodium option, right? So if you mm -hmm. went to this 
old, you know, 80 year old Anthony and you say, Anthony, like we're going to send you, uh, you know, seven days of post-hospital food, three meals a day. You just take them out of the freezer. You stick them in the microwave, like just eat it. Delicious. Uh, it'll be good enough tasting and it will not put you back in the hospital mm. you do that. Right. And so I think that, you know, we just need to get radical about like really addressing the barriers that people face, right? When they do have the right intentions, I think lots, it's not like people don't know the gym is important. So why are we spending so much money trying to convince people the gym is important? Why are we not spending money, you know, making it easier to do those, those workout class, hooking them up with the gym buddy, making mm -hmm. gyms more available, teaching people to work out in their homes, like da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, and you know, it sounds like, you know, there's a lot of integration with social determinants of health. And I'm sure you guys are looking at this as well. Sometimes it's just hard to understand if, if uh, you know, that, that lasagna, that sodium foot filled is really, you know, the preference or they're defaulting to it because of cost, because of habit, I guess, how do you start to understand these different nuanced factors of things that are core and habits to people and the social factors that are around them based on their zip code, right? Like, how do you do, how do you start to merge the two so that you can, you know, focus that better recast message? You know, it's, it's, or, or is, or do we have all the data? Do we have all the information? We know their, we know their zip code, we know their demographic, we know their procedure they just had. Um, or is, is there a lot of inferences that could be made by base data and things like that? Just kind of curious on like, what should be the modern mental model for, for the recast, you know? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like, obviously, mm -hmm. having all the data in the world would be great. Um, uh -huh. But, you know, data is limited by our ability to actually operationalize it, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can look at things like the area deprivation index, et cetera, to sort of understand, like, what's going on in the community. My team is made up of, of quantitative researchers, so data scientists, and also qualitative researchers. So I'm sending somebody out into that community. I'm looking at what, you know, they're walking around. They're seeing what's going on. They're talking mm -hmm. to members, right? They're understanding at a more qualitative level what's actually happening. And mm -hmm. then project managers who then run the interventions. And the key is, you know, you got to start small. People try and go in with, you know, million dollar, $10 million, 100,000 person sort of, you know, pilots. No, you got to start small, 20 people, 30 people, just see if there's a spark there. You know, then you got to grow and iterate from there. I think people bet too big and don't use enough of a scientific process to sort of say like, well, why do we believe this will create change? How do we test that at the smallest possible scale? And then, and then iterate from there. I love it. I love it. Um, Matt, Matt, let me ask you. So you are setting um, the future really from a behavioral standpoint. And obviously you guys focus heavily on Medicare Advantage. I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about along those lines about the future of how you look at, you know, closing all the intention gaps, really precise, good messaging, but just the future in general, when it comes to health, like what's, tell me a little bit about the future of health, according to Matt, what's the future we're marching towards? What does it look like? Uh, just love to listen to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, certainly I could talk about the, I hope, the, the, the future I hope for. Right, right. <laughs> One where we are concentrating more on behavior. You see more scientists, applied scientists in the field, right? Not mm -hmm. sort of old JAMA article scientists, but people who are really trying to, you know, I want to see more companies with science-based divisions, whether that's a behavioral science team or whether that's a, a sort of different experimental science team, but like there are a lot of models. I don't, I'm not wedded to, to 
any one model. I just care that people, you know, sort of approach it from the method that we know works, which is that science method. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think one of the things that people underemphasize is the degree to which the changing demographics of the United States are going to change health uh, in, in pretty important ways. Um, Clover has, it's, it's sort of a unique place to work, right? We have twice as many people of color as the average Medicare Advantage plan, twice as many people who speak Spanish, twice as many people who didn't graduate high school. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when I talk to people, you know, Medicare is overwhelmingly white, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the demographics, the way the demographics shake out in the United States, and every year it gets less and less and less white. And so what I always say is, you know, Clover is just what Medicare Advantage looks like 30 years from now, mm -hmm. right? And so... People have to be thinking about a, a diverse medical future where uh, uh, inclusion is at the forefront of what you do, right? I think medical racism still accounts for a massive, massive amount of the, of the sort of medical debt that we have as a country. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to get much smarter about, about understanding the, the context in which health occurs. I love it. I love it. No, this is this is great, man. I I'm right there with you, and it's an exciting future. And I, I definitely see ourselves, uh, you know, getting there. And it's great to see that you're leading, you know, efforts in this specific, you know, field in science and, and applying it. You know, so it's really super fascinating to see, Matt. Um, I'm kind of curious. I have two last questions for you. My second to last question is, you know, obviously you've been in health for a while, uh, and you are probably, you know, super uh, focused on habits and change and probably always challenging yourself. Kind of curious on some things that you do on a weekly, daily, or even monthly basis that keep your engine going, whether it's mind, body, spirit related, whether it's uh, fitness or food related. Tell me a little bit about your habits. Yeah, it's interesting. So my ha my life, I'm not a very habit-driven guy. Every day looks really different for me. Mm -hmm. um, I have an almost four-year-old, right? And so, you know, the unpredictability of his <laughs> affects the unpredictability right. of, my, of my life. You know, uh, uh, I, I love boxing. Um, and so that's a, a big part of sort of my workout routine is, and, and I feel very lucky because boxing is one of those things you can do anywhere, mm. right? Like, you know, I can shadow box in a hotel room if I'm traveling. Like, you know, it's one of those things that, that you can sort of work out anytime, anywhere. Um, and so that's certainly part of my, uh, a part of my health routine. And, you know, in many ways, actually, I want on a for bear. And so bears my son. And so, you know, he and I have a lot of conversations about, about nutrition, about food, about exercise and things. So like every night when I cook dinner, like, you know, he opens the fridge with me and I'm like, okay, what fruit are we going to have? What vegetable are we going to have? Right. What carbohydrate and what protein? Mm. And so he's like from very, very young age, uh, uh, very equipped with that. And that, and that's something, look, I got from, from very much from my parents, you know, my mom, um, as a nurse, like I've ate basically the identical meal all like in my entire childhood, it was like cooked vegetable, fresh vegetable, fruit, carbohydrate, you know, starch protein, right? Mm. Like every night. Right. It's like, you know, orange salad, cooked spinach, rice and a chicken breast like <laughs> every night. Um, and so, you know, I just ended up eating really balanced as a kid. Um, and so it's something I'm really conscious about wanting to like sort of pass on to bear. I love it. I love it. No, that's a great example. My son's around the same age and uh, <laughs> I need to get him to stop boxing a little bit more. But um, but uh, but no, that's so great. You know, it's funny. I last night I went to an event where you know, we all cook together in this like gourmet setting with uh, some of our partners. And 
um, it was an awesome event. And so I was really inspired. It <laughs> put a lot of guilt on me that I probably don't walk my son through enough of that, of like preparing a meal and that well-balanced, but such an important skill, right? To learn. It's something just to know and cultivate. And uh, sometimes you can go years without really that balanced set of, you know, returning to those habits. So I, I appreciate the both, um, you know, very, very inspiring. So you're, you know, you definitely are challenging me. <laughs> I'm going to do it tonight. I'll, I'll report back, Matt. I'll report back. So, um, but Matt, um, my very last question is for our listeners. So I know you've got uh, a book out, right? It's on Amazon. Uh, it's called Start at the End, How to Build Pop Products that Create Change. It's on Kindle. It's on Amazon. Um, but love to hear for our listeners out there that like to engage with you directly on social media, reach out to you, say hi, or to uh, get a good read of the book. What would be a great way to do all of those? And I know that's four questions in one. So <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I try and be, I believe very strongly that, that access is an important part of, of, sure. of, of sort of lev leveling the, the, the equality field in the United States. So I'm, at, I'm mad at Matt Wallert. Or at Matt Wallard on Twitter, uh, I answer every message. It may take me a long time, but I but I answer every message. Uh, nice. And and you know I have a, there's a call link out there that'll let you like schedule a call if you feel like you really need to talk. I'm always happy to answer questions. Right, I try and just help people on a first come first serve basis. Um, and then uh, what was the other question, man? There's a lot of questions in that one. That was, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, no, in terms of the book, um, you know, I, it's available right now on on Amazon and it's it's on uh, Kindle as well. And just wanted to, you know, was curious if any of our listeners were interested in, um, you know, uh, gaining access to the book, purchasing the book, what would be the best place to do so? Yeah, you could do, you know, Amazon's great. What I would say is, you know, if you listen to one of the things my friends say, having read the book is, well, it really sounds like you. And so it's full of cursing and colorful examples. And, <laughs> and you know, and so if you liked this podcast, if you liked, you know, hearing Anthony and I sort of talk together, you can imagine that the book is very similar to this. It's conversational in nature. It's not meant to be a book for PhD behavioral scientists. It's mm -hmm. not meant to be sort of thick and hard. It's meant to, to I passionately believe that everyone can be a behavioral scientist because if behavior is your outcome and science is your method, then you're a behavioral scientist and you don't need a PhD. You, everyone can do that. And so it is really concentrated on the accessible. And so I hope if you pick up a copy, you know, you find it as practical as I hope, as I hope to make it. I love it. I love it, Matt. So just a few things. I really appreciate you making time to do this episode, to share, spend some time with me, spend some time with our listeners here. And it's, it's such a refreshing approach that you're bringing to the, the space. It's very well-timed. And obviously, you've packaged a lot of your knowledge up in something that's really actionable, um, where people can build products. Anyone that's looking to create change, you know, this, this book is, is for them. Um, but most importantly, it's a very refreshing and fascinating approach that you're bringing to the industry. I just want to say thank you for sharing your story with us, your work, and, you know, what the future looks like and the future that you're marching in and the space that you're in. So, um, so Matt, this was great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Anthony. It was really fun to just chat for a bit. And, and, and I look forward to it not being our last conversation. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks so much. Same here. Thank you.